Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Today, I get to welcome Nahal Krishan. He's technology reporter at FedScoop. And you guys know, I've mentioned many times, I love talking to the government reporters. They have, they have this bird's eye view of what's going on in government tech. Um, I feel like that they're really good at keeping the massive reports that we see coming out of government, like boiling it down for us, even helping us, helping the government stay accountable to these reports. And so today I get to, Nahal and I are going to talk about chat GPT, which man, is that the hot topic and TikTok. So welcome to Tech Transforms. Nahal, how are you? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me uh, here today. I'm I'm looking forward uh, to this conversation. Um, so just just a, a little bit about me and my my background uh, to to give your readers a sense of where I'm coming from and uh, and my skills. So I, I grew up all over Asia. I was a global nomad. I grew up in South Korea, Saudi Arabia, India, and Singapore before uh, coming to the states to 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 study journalism and politics here at American University and and Arizona State at the Cronkite School. Uh, and then uh, I've been in. DC for the past eight years as a, as a political reporter. I started off as a Washington correspondent with PBS Arizona. Then I was with Mother Jones. Then I was with the Washington Examiner uh, as their big tech reporter. And now uh, most recently with, with, with FedScoop. And I, I do some reporting for CyberScoop as well. And so I've been at the nexus of, of politics and policymaking for almost a decade now and focused on tech issues in particular for the past uh, four years or so. I'm really excited to talk about especially AI. And specifically, I want to talk about chat GPT. Um, it's kind of taken the world by storm overnight. I mean, we've got some government entities like the National Science Foundation looking at use cases, like maybe even adoption use cases. We have some countries like Italy who've just banned it outright. And I... <laughs> So my son heard me discussing this topic and and what you and I were going to talk about today last week and he's mm. a he's a Gen Zer and he's just like mom do you use that and I said yeah I kind of do and I my use cases for using it as I use it like I use it to help me brainstorm it's like my AI assistant so I love it to help me generate like new new catchy titles I'll ha I'll have it rewrite things for me and and so I use it in a pretty limited way mm -hmm. and I certainly see it as a tool in my toolbox that I can mm -hmm. I still have to be a subject matter expert in what I'm feeding it and mm -hmm. and I talked to him about that trying to like justify my use of it and he's like it's learning from you <laughs> so I mean, I I really took that to heart and I want to know from you why you feel like there's such a divide. Some agencies looking to adopt, countries banning, my son saying, don't use this thing. Like it's going to end us all kind of like it feels a little apocalyptic. So, okay. 
So tell me, why is there such a division? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think uh, the, the, the first thing you have to, you have to sort of start off with and, and, and reckon with is the fact that, uh, that everyone has an opinion on this because it is so incredibly user-friendly. And that is the reason we're even talking about this at all right now is because we've been talking about AI for, since the early 2010s and in sci-fi for decades now, but it's really coming to a head right now because it's just so scarily, eerily effective at oftentimes answering, you know, answering questions and knowing, giving us what we want. That's at the core of generative AI, whether it's text or visuals or videos or otherwise, is it, you ask it something and it's just, it's so well-trained open AI and others have, have so significantly come up the curve in the past two years um, that, that instead of just giving you a bunch of junk or gobbledygook, it, it, it actually gives you something that, that is helpful and concrete. Now, obviously it doesn't always do that. It's track record is nowhere close to a hundred percent or 90% or I don't, maybe not even 50%. But, um, you know, I think that the major reasons that, that it is polarizing is that on the one hand, um, it's helping people to like plan their vacations better. It's giving people companions if they're going through something difficult emotionally. It's of course helping coders and people who are creating some of the most cutting edge software. Um, and so in all realms of, of humanity, um, from the social sciences to entrepreneurs to chefs and writers and poets, it's, it's, it's adding a new element of like resources and capabilities to, to what they're trying to create and do. But on the other hand, it has a darker side in that it has this this incredible innovative tool has come about from scraping the entire internet the way that Google mm -hmm. and others have done. And oftentimes it's scraping personal information that people haven't always consented to. So it's built off of some degree of non-consent of, of, of data and information. Um, and so, of course, there are concerns around data privacy about how the tool was built, but also when you're inputting information, let's say you're talking about something related to your personal life or something related to your, you know, your government documents or something at work, you know, how much is it retaining that information, building it into its model that then other people are having access to the information you feed it. So there's that there's that data there's that data privacy element. And then of course there's disinformation, which is mm. which is a huge issue. Yeah, because, because it's, it's taking accurate. everything, not yeah. necessarily like facts, right? It's taking yep. everything. And to your point, it says right in its uh privacy policy that it does pull proprietary information and that if you use it illegally, that's on you. But it's almost impossible to determine what pieces are proprietary and what aren't, which is why I stick to a very narrow use case. Like I use it for stuff that I am an expert in and that I can go back and through and say, yeah, this is, you know, this is wrong. This is and 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 nuance it myself. But, you know, another point is my son said, you know, this is going to make us make everything. So am I, I'm probably going to use this word wrong, but homogenous. Like yeah, yeah, right. The creativity is going to go. And I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see that because it's so easy. 
Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that actually. So I actually recently hosted an event here in Washington called Art and AI. And I, I brought in a few local uh, artists who are talented and have used AI in some of their, and then I brought in an Amazon developer who's created AI tools for years. And this is exactly what we were talking about. And actually many of the artists said they feel that their work is going to be even more valued because mm. as your son said, there will be some homogenousness when it comes to like lower levels of art and maybe it'll make it much easier to create certain images and graphic art and text. But if you are a talented artist who paints or sculpts or does something else, what you do will be valued even more because it's something that ChatGPT or, or other tools cannot make. And so I think it will just raise the bar in terms of what is what people value from in, in, in a creative sense. Um, and some people will, will likely lose their jobs. Some people will be put out of work. Those who, who create things that now chat GPT, certain videos, certain texts, certain code. Um, and so people will have to up their skills. They'll have to up their game in order to, to, to remain relevant. But I think we're still some time away from a significant number of jobs being impacted, but eventually, eventually we'll get good enough that, 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 that will happen. But, but yeah, I'm not as worried about the homogeneous that I think your, your, your son has, has talked about. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just like anything else, you know, like the internet, we just thought that, you know, love letters would like disappear, but people still, people still, you know, write things like that. There's, there's all sorts of creative things that, that still happen, even though technology makes it super easy. And I, I take the optimistic view of, of it raising us and making us even better, um, at least in, in the long run. I agree. And like I said, the way that I use it, it actually frees me up to be more creative because mm. wordsmithing something there's, there's a lot of creativity in that. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's a lot of things that I write during the day. And I'm certainly not a writer like you, but there's a lot of, you know, pieces of communication that I have to create that good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't require that level of creativity. So I can use chat GPT to help me with that. And then you use the time that it frees up to do mm-hmm. higher value tasks. Exactly. The exactly. chat GPT can't do. Yes. And I've tried, believe me. <laughs> I've asked it to do stuff and it's like spits out garbage. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to have to do this myself. <laughs> yeah, there's still many, many, you know, really important critical tasks that 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 human beings are going to have to to do themselves. And I, yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, even in, in the government, for example, I think, you know, one of the things that Sam Altman, who's the founder of OpenAI, said his favorite part of using ChatGPT is its summarization element. Yes. So, you know, I think that is something, you know, people, if you have hundreds of pages in a document or a report, or maybe even just an article from FedScoop or CyberScoop that's long and you don't have the time to read the whole thing, it will summarize it for you. Now, obviously, the accuracy of it is still called in the question. I've tried to ask it to summarize many things before, and it does not always always get it right. And sometimes it doesn't. It and if you're not an expert, you'll miss you, that. Yeah, exactly. And as you, as you very rightly pointed out, you do have to have a sense of some knowledge and expertise to know what you're reading is actually true or it's just bullshit. Um, but I think very much eventually, I think probably within the next year or two, if not sooner, we will have really powerful summarization tools and that will allow People in the government, for example, to be able to take large amounts of information and say, okay, just tell me the top 
five or 10 things, give me a few quotes. Um, and, and then, you know, and then that allows them to then build upon that when they're building software or they're trying to build policy or, or other things. And so it's, it's it's not there yet, but soon we will be at 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 that point. And I think, as you said, like using it as a way to to uh, to take certain tasks off your checklist that are are difficult or maybe time consuming, but are more menial, and then and then get to focus that time and energy on things that are more creative um, and that maybe require collaboration um uh, is 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 how to view it and i i truly think that this is the kind of tool which it's inevitable inevitability is such an important concept when it comes to to ai tools and it, you sort of it, it's either you get on board and you try to see ways in which it can help you personally and help your organization or you're likely to get left behind in some way and so it's better to understand, even if it has problems and it could be considered an enemy, better to understand it and know its strengths and weaknesses than to try to ignore it altogether. Well, so what do you think about countries like Italy banning it? I mean, what does that mean? Like they've just, yeah, what does that even mean that they banned ChatGPT? Like you can't get to it if you live in Italy? Yeah, it is. So yeah, there, there was a, there, there was a, a great piece about this recently, um, in, in Wired magazine. And so, yeah, basically, uh, because Italy has said that their citizens information has been, uh, uh stolen, you know, as we've talked about public data scraping, they say that open AI has said, okay, Italy's suing open AI because of, the the data scraping that they have done of Italians and and all people around the world, um, but Italy is the first country who has actively sued them and taken this taken this in into the legal realm. And so OpenAI has just said, okay, nobody in Italy can use this anymore because the Italian government is suing them. And you will likely see other European countries and maybe maybe um, the the European governance body uh, take take action as well. The Europeans always are sort of the first in these data privacy issues. And that's been the case for years. But yeah, Italians cannot, I, I think other than if they use a VPN to get around mm. issues, uh, your, your your average Italian cannot easily use uh, their uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT and, and other tools. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that's the direction most of the world is going to take. I think some in Europe will, America certainly is not taking that approach. We're very, very far away from regulating AI or stopping it altogether. I mean, it started over here by and large. We're we're sort of at the top of the innovation field right now. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, as you said, it's it's something that has this polarizing element and there's a lot of excitement, but there's 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 also fear. And yeah, I mean, OpenAI sure should better be stacking up their legal team because they are going to be getting a thousand and one missiles fired at them in, in all different direction by different individuals, different companies. So um, just like the big social media companies and tech companies like Google and Amazon and Meta in the past 20 years, they are they're a new player on the field and and they're yeah, I'm I'm sure their their lawyers are, are kept busy every day. How do you foresee the US government dealing with or not dealing with chat GPT? Do you think they're gonna come out with any kind of policies or even, you know, lean into it and say, yeah, guys, start using this more? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, I would say um the the first approach of the government, I mean, I've spoken to 
to folks in it at the at the VA at the at uh, at NIST in the White House all across the board. Um, and the the first things I hear is there is a cautious sense of optimism, optimism and excitement over these tools and the effects they can have on on the American people and public. But very quickly, uh, and I think more importantly, they say first we need to build guardrails. And, and safeguards around these tools before the government can consider using them in any significant fashion. Um, there needs to be clear red lines as to what it, these tools can and can't do, what sort of information they're sucking up, uh, what are the possible negative effects. Um, or or problematic outcomes that could occur. And so they, unlike the industry, the government is much more in a cautious sense focused on, and your chief data officers and CIOs and CTOs are much more focused on, okay, first of all, what can you not do with this tool? What should we not mm. be allowed to do? And then at some point in the future, there will be a focus on how can we use this in interesting and exciting and innovative ways. But But first... Let's prevent the harm. And so I think, I, it, which is sort of the flip of what you see in the industry side, it's first, how can people use this in an exciting way? How can it benefit people? How can they they earn more money? How can it benefit their bottom line? And then there is an, there is an element of safeguards and safety, but I think that's a little bit of, of a second oftentimes, not with all AI tools, but much of the time, the safeguards is a little bit of a secondary element because if you don't get users on board in the first place, then who cares whether or not you have all these safeguards in. So with the guardrails though, you mentioned a story that just dropped, I think on Friday about AI in general, mm -hmm. government regulations. Mm -hmm. Talk to me more about that one. What is it? Why does why is it significant? Yeah, so uh, so it, it is significant because so just last week uh, on Wednesday, the Commerce Department, uh, which uh, runs uh, the uh, NTIA, uh, the National Telecom um, uh, Institute, they have asked uh, the the public at large for comment on on artificial intelligence regulations and rulemaking. And so basically it's the very first step. It's an extremely early step in, in the, the hope and ambition of eventually creating uh, AI uh, rules and regulations that are in the law uh, for, uh, for federal agencies. And so, you know, I think we're still months, if not years away, likely, uh, of creating real AI regulations uh, within federal agencies. And there's no uh, element of this in Congress right now. There, there, there's, as sources have told me, there's, it's slim to none that there's going to be any chances of AI uh, legislation uh, passing in Congress anytime soon. But, you know, with the Commerce Department taking this step of asking for a request for comment, with the White House putting out an AI blueprint uh, for uh, for rules uh, at the end of last year with NIST having its own framework for AI guidelines, you can see that the sort of the, the gears in the machinery of the federal government are starting to recognize that this is something that is coming fast and furious down the pipeline. And we have to prepare for its inevitable introduction into the government in ways in which it's affecting people's lives. And so, yeah, these are these are serious steps being taken. Um, 
But we, there, there's no clear sort of plan of action when it comes to how the government in a unified sense is going to tackle AI and regulating it. So everyone is is starting to take action and see what ways they can do so. But I think what many would like to see that I hear from sources in the in the federal government and in the tech world is they want to see soon, hopefully, a comprehensive approach to artificial intelligence policymaking, the, the way that we have with cybersecurity, for example, mm. and zero trust. And it's this overlying, overarching mandate and set of principles and goals that everybody is relatively clear on, even if everyone's at different stages and trying to achieve it. Um, and so I think we are quite far away from that comprehensive plan, but each agency trying to find ways to build their own safeguards and rules is a way of of starting that process. And hopefully at some point we will have a more comprehensive national or federal strategy for AI. Well, and to my point earlier, like we really do rely on, on you guys, um, the media to keep the pressure on and, and to, so we get to those like definitive guidelines rather than just like talking about it, you know, keep us accountable, keep, you know, um, and you said something interesting. Is this a common practice to reach out to the public at large and say, what do you think about AI? Like to, to, to create policies and regulations, is this a norm? This is, this is absolutely the norm. So, okay. you know, federal agencies across the board, if you look at like the EPA and the Clean Water and Clean Clean Air Act, those went through, they go through like years of public comment sometimes, or, or they go through public comment for a significant period. And then for, in many agencies, for a rule to be put in place and to be legally binding, you, you have, uh, rulemaking takes years typically, and public comment is a significant part of it. And so it, it, it typically takes months. So it's, yeah, this is just a concrete step that the Commerce Department has taken. And many people who are still trying to sort of trying to figure out why is it that commerce is leading on this? Why are they the ones who've been yeah. the first people to ask for a request for comment? And, you know, I think, you know, it's just commerce has uh, a lot of uh, telecom authority with the with the NTIA. And of course, the CHIPS Act is is coming out of uh, uh, out of um, uh, the Commerce Department. So they've you know been appropriated, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars for semiconductors and other science and tech. And so, you know, there is some sense of like why it is that commerce is taking the lead on this. But, you know, obviously you have folks at at NIST that are working on AI, uh, AI elements, the White Houses as well. Um, and so it's not entirely clear. I think so far right now, it just is commerce has just decided they're going to ask for a request for comment. Next week, another agency could decide to create rulemaking right. and and take the request. Uh, so um, yeah, it's 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 sort of like a patchwork of of ideas and movement right now. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, still to be seen what long term focus or direction it takes. So the Stanford AI twenty twenty three report, and I'm sure mm -hmm. I just messed up the title of that report. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, but I think it just came out. And they share like top takeaways. What what were the top takeaways for you from that? Yeah, rate? certainly. So j just for your readers, in case they're searching it. Searching or, for the, you know, get, let's get them the right name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's the Stanford University Human Centered Artificial Intelligence Index Report of 2023. Oh, yeah. um, they've, they've done this every year for the, for the past few years or so. And it's really considered 
to be uh, sort of one of the seminal uh, definitive uh, reports on AI and its development and its future um, and, and how it's being considered both by government and by industry. And so, you know, I think that the top uh, element when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, the federal government tech landscape is it shows using Giovanni data that U.S., government AI spending has more than doubled since 2017. So it just shows how this is not only just a buzzword and something that people are talking about, but real dollars and cents are being sent in a incredible ferocious fashion towards AI. And that double will probably triple and quadruple, if not more, in, 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 in the coming years. Um, so I think that's definitely a big takeaway. Um, and, and then a few others are that one industry is racing ahead of academia, um, uh, you know, when it comes to machine learning and AI tools, and they're racing ahead of the government, very much so. The government is, is far behind, not only in adoption of it, but also with rules and regulations. Um, and then the other big one is that AI you know, sort of as we talked about before, it's both helping and hurting environments. So, you know, it, it there, there's 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 very clear pros and cons to it happening at the same time. And and in particular, when I say the environment, I I mean the, the physical environment. It's it's using a lot of energy and and in ways has 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 uh you know ways of both making us more environmentally friendly, but also requiring more energy uh, energy use. Um, uh, and then another big wait, one, wait, is, tell me just a little bit more about that. What do you oh, mean? It's the, the impact on the environment. I have not thought about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it can have very serious environmental implications. So for example, according to, uh, Lucioni, which was a, a study done in 2022, uh, Bloom, which is an AI tool started emitting 25 times more carbon than a single air traveler on a one-way trip from New York to San Francisco. And so it's it shows that that um that that you know there is a lot of energy being used oftentimes for running these systems but on the other hand um these ai systems can be used to optimize energy use mm -hmm. so it, it 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 can have um you know dual sides you know i think obviously in the long run the sense is that computing power will become uh cheaper and cheaper like our chips have and so thereby the energy uh, the, the output for energy optimization will offset the energy use of trying to train these these AI models but but there but there there are there are definitely some uh some effects to to how much is being emitted um and then of course another big takeaway uh from the Stanford report is the number of incidents concerning misuse of AI which is rapidly increasing. So the number of AI incidents and controversies has increased 26 times since 2012. Um, and for example, deep fake videos of Ukrainian President Zelensky surrendering US prisons um, has gone viral. And so there are many, many misuses, especially when it comes to disinformation um, of, of AI, and, and that is very much on the rise. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's that that's an important one. Um, and then I think one that's particularly relevant to, to, to your audience is demand for AI related professionals is increasing uh, in tremendously. Uh, you know, we have we've had major labor shortages in the cybersecurity world and others. Each agency is dealing with this. Tech companies are dealing with this. And so there's a shortage of AI workers um, and, you know, uh, and people who have the right skills. And it's why universities and academia and others are 
offering a lot more classes and and degrees uh, related to it. Um, so that 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 was one, and then uh, and then uh, of course is uh, the fact that uh, there's a lot of competition even outside the U.S. Uh, Chinese citizens uh, and the Chinese government has invested a lot of money into this, um, and th there there actually seems to be more positivity to AI products and services in China, in Saudi Arabia, in India, where they each have over seventy percent approval, whereas in the U.S. only thirty five percent of Americans. Uh, agreed that there would be more benefits than drawbacks. And so there's an international element to this global race towards AI and how other countries sometimes have fewer reservations and fewer regulations and rules on it and are just charging ahead without the cautiousness and skepticism that I think uh, Americans are. Thank you, Nahal, for taking the time to share your insight today. You certainly gave me some eye-opening perspectives on AI. Listeners, stay tuned for Nahal's next episode, where we continue the conversation on another controversial application, TikTok. Please share and smash the like button, and we will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 